This is Truth Encounter, and as we continue our series in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 6 makes some strange statements about not taking a pair of millstones to ensure a debt. What in the world is a millstone, and what does it have to do with compassion and business transactions? Here's our study leader, Dave Wurtson, to help us find the answer. Do not take a pair of millstones, something you all used early this morning. All the ladies ground the flower with a millstone. Not even the upper one as security for a debt, because that would be taking a man's livelihood for security. This is one of those times where we need to jump from the Old Testament culture to the New Testament culture. What in the world is a millstone? Jeremiah will say one of his symbols for the devastation of a culture is that you no longer hear the sound of the millstone early in the morning. What in the world do we mean by that? In a modern culture, I would say something like this. Don't take the microwave. Don't take the electric burner. Don't take the oven. Don't take the vacuum cleaner. That's what he's talking about. In the ancient world, ladies, one of the dominant appliances that you had, and praise God for modern technology, when I get through telling you what they had to do, you'll be really thankful for electricity. In the old world, you would get up early in the morning and you had a stone that would be about this big, and it would be concave. It would have a little indentation in it, and then you would have another stone that you would be able to have a handle on it. And you would put the grain. Kim Lewis would deliver his, his recently harvested wheat crop, and you'd put the grains on that thing, and the bottom stone had a 15-degree descent, downhill slant, and you'd begin to rub like this, and it made this, this kind of this grinding noise. And when all the women in the whole city were doing this early in the morning, you'd hear all over the city, like this. That was the grinding of the millstones. And there wasn't any bread. You didn't just open Wonder Bread or Mrs. Baird's and pop it into the toaster. You had to start from scratch. It took almost all of your time just grinding out all these raw products. Every family had a millstone. Every family had this appliance. Now what would happen is you owe me money. And I want to make sure you pay me, so I come into your house and I take away your top millstone. And I look around. There's one kid in diapers, and there's another kid that is about seven years old, and I look at one of the daughters that's about 13. What does that mean when I take away the upper millstone? Do you understand what it means? It means what? It means they're going to go hungry. Because a millstone, this apparatus, if it doesn't have the top millstone, you might as well not have anything. You don't have anything. And what did Moses say? He says, when you have someone that's in debt to you, and you want to get a security for that debt, don't you take the upper millstone. Don't you take what they need for their basic sustenance. Because you're supposed to be a gracious person. You're supposed to go overboard and be sure that those that are related to you, that are around you, that you're working with in business, you need to be very sure that they have the upper millstone, that they have the things they need for their basic sustenance. Some of you are out there in the business world. What's the principle? Everyone that you're interacting with, those are less fortunate than you. 
You need to be diligently involved in helping them, them to have a strong millstone, in helping them to develop talents and skills and abilities so that they can earn a living. And you need to be very, very careful if some of those are indebted to you that you don't take away the basic tools that they need in order to grind out their flour, in order to make a living. I want to make another principle. Young men and women, you need to be sure you get a millstone. Whether you're a child of God that's going to the ministry or whether you feel you're going on to business, every one of you need to have a millstone. What do I mean by that? In my own life, when I went through college, like I don't have to be teaching the Word of God. I teach the Word of God because the Spirit laid it on my heart. In fact, I couldn't get away from it. And I believe that, and I, I really pray that that will happen for some of you young men. I couldn't keep myself from teaching the Bible. I tried. But I did get a degree in chemistry. That's my millstone. I have a professional degree in chemistry. I learned, and I could earn a living doing that. I could earn a living teaching. A lot of my friends that got that degree went on and, and, and taught. Some of them are involved in the, in the drug enforcement agencies. Some of them are in Atlanta with, with, the, with the disease control. In other words, the Lord put it on my heart, you've got to have a millstone. I know, I know another pastor. And while he was going through seminary, he learned how to paint. That was his millstone. And I was asking him, why are you doing all this painting? Because he says, I want to be sure that I can work with my hands, that I can do something practical, that I can, that I can earn a living for my family. Proverbs has a marvelous verse that says, as you go out into the world, be sure that you take care of your flocks. And what it's saying is, be sure that you have some basic fundamental things. Sheep in your backyard, if worse comes to worse, can be slain and you can eat and you can make it. One of the greatest gifts that you've given to me, that's where a lot of you all live. You understand the basic reality of a millstone. You know that there's basic appliances, basic things, basic skills that you've got to have to eat. And you're into that and you learn how to do that. And Moses was saying, don't take that away from people. Don't take away their ability to make a livelihood. You can apply that as believers to the welfare system. It's one of the major things that's wrong. The emphasis is not on teaching people to grind. That we take away the upper millstone. Make them dependent, which takes a person's self-worth away from them. Takes away their drive. It destroys them as a person. It makes them dependent. And then there's anger. And a whole society begins to fall apart. You see how these legal laws... These literal laws become principles that get very deep into human nature. Another thing Deuteronomy talks about, and I'll be a little bit Western here, let's jump to verses 14 and 15 and look at another verse that deals with this issue of people that are indebted to us. Verse 14, Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset. Because he is poor and he's counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. What, it's saying, what is it saying here? If you hire somebody to come over, let me put it in a concrete situation. Let's suppose that some of you adults hire a young teenager to come over and they're going to mow your lawn or they're going to deliver your paper or they're going to do some, some things around the house for you. Do you think in your heart, well, I don't really have enough time to make sure that I have the cash to pay them. I'll pay them in a week. Think about when you were a kid. Think about your own kids. 
What were you counting on when you were a kid? Now that you become an adult and you're getting regular salaries, a whole bunch of you, you're not dependent every single week, although many of us are, on the salary. If you wait a few days, like this. But remember when you were a kid, and some of us are still very much in this boat. If the check doesn't come through, what has a businessman or a businesswoman doing? They're saying, if I hold it a little bit longer, think of the interest that I can get. How's it work in a company? If we can delay the paychecks just over the weekend, just a couple more days, think of the interest, the compound interest that we can make on that. If you're a believer, what do you do? Moses says, if people deserve to be paid, they need to be paid on time. In the ancient world, in a very simple economy, that often involved people that worked and they were paid daily. That's where a lot of the stories that the Lord told. Remember the Lord talked about the, the, the landowner that went out and got people to work in his, in his land? And he gave the same pay to those that worked five minutes to those that worked all day. He gave them a denarius. The idea of a denarius, it was a day's wage. And the Lord said that the end of that day, that wage needed to be paid. And that was the law of Moses. And so what it's saying to us, every one of you that have businesses that are, in, that are in leadership positions, the principle is people that work for you need to be able to count on the fact that when they work and when it comes time for their fair retribution to be given to them, they're paid in full. They're paid on time. Some of you have worked construction. And people have made promises to you. They said, we will come through, and they didn't. And some of you have lost everything because of that, because the timing was off. Because they didn't come through when they said they would. In fact, a lot of you have learned this is just the way business is. People deceive, people lie. What about you? What do you do? Remember I talked to you about what we do on Sunday morning needs to influence Monday? I believe that this week some of you business people are going to face some choices Will I really take care of those that work underneath me? I had a beautiful testimony. Just, and sometimes the most beautiful testimonies come from a side. I was, I was driving along with somebody from our church, and they were talking about somebody else in our church, and it was somebody in our church that, that has businesses and stuff. And we were just driving along in this, and one of the guys in our church said, you know, one thing about this guy, this business owner, they really take care of their people. In fact, I can't believe the devotion that their people have to them. They love them. What a testimony. They said this individual really cares about those that are working for this individual. Oh, I would pray that that testimony would be multiplied a million times again and again and again. So Moses is very practically saying that we need to be very careful to respect someone's ability to provide. We need to be sure that when they work for us that we give them what they deserve and what they should be paid, and it needs to be done right on time. Look at verses 10 through 13. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into his house. Why not? To get what he's offering as a pledge. Stay outside and let the man to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If a man is poor, do not go to sleep with his pledge in your possession. Return his cloak to him by sunset so that he may sleep in it. Then he will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. In the ancient world, again, it's very simplistic. Somebody owes you money, so you want to be sure that they'll pay you. So early in the day, you go over to their house and say, listen, I need some kind of security to make sure to guarantee your loan. And the modern equivalent would be that, that we give like a car or we give some real estate to back up a loan that we might need. 
What Moses says is when you go to the poor man's house, you stay outside. Why? Because if you were to go into the house and you can point, I want that TV set, I want that, I want that, and you've invaded an individual's private domain. He's saying, no, the poor man is a person. And their house is their place. They can invite you in, they can invite friends in, but as a a creditor, you don't have the right to go into your debtor's place and decide what you're going to take. He said, you let them go into their own domicile, and they choose of their own free will what they'll give to you. A really poor person, all they would have to give was a big quadrangle blanket-like. It was the silma. It was, it was a piece of garment. It was a large rectangular cloth. In fact, they could, it was their outer coat-like, and they would take it off, and they'd put grain in it sometimes. They'd use it for carrying things, kind of the way we might use a blanket to carry things. That was their outer garment. And sometimes a poor person, that's all they had. And so they would give that to you. Now, what does Moses say? As the night begins to come, if any of you have lived out in Arizona, it's a little bit similar to the, the climate in the Holy Land. It's hot as the blazes in the daytime. But when the sun slips over the Mediterranean Sea and the night starts to come in, what was blazing hot becomes cold. In fact, even in Texas, until we get in the dead of, dead of summer, when it's really, really hot, most of the time, if you're sleeping outside with not a lot of protection, it gets a little bit chilly, and almost everybody pulls a sheet over them because it gets a little bit cold. What does Moses say? If that person gave you their outer garment, that was the sheet, that was the blanket they were going to use to sleep with that night. It says before that sun goes down, you go back to that man's house. And you give it to them. Why? Because otherwise they're going to spend the night shivering. It's going to be cold. And Moses says, as a child of God, you care about people. And you don't just think in terms of the bottom line. You think in terms of them not shivering, of not being cold, of having their needs met. And that's where our church is going to have an eloquent testimony in the world when we begin to think like that. And we begin to do those gracious acts. That's what the law of Moses was all about. And so you respected a man's privacy and you respected his needs. How should the poor be fed? Look at Deuteronomy 24, verses 19 through the end of the chapter. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheep, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. What is Moses saying? We've had this other times in the Deuteronomic law. What it's saying in the ancient world under the ancient economy, that when they harvested their fields, they, had a, they could only go over them once. And then there would be enough for the poor to go in. In fact, in the history of Israel, this became a very powerful thing. Because there was a widow, and little did anybody know that in this widow's life, held the whole Davidic line was resting on her shoulders. And strangely enough, she was a foreigner. She was excluded from the chosen people of God. But there was a wealthy landowner that had marvelous fields and marvelous crops. This wealthy landowner one day came to his fields and the people that were in his fields, they called out to him, Master, deserve to the Lord. May the Lord be with you. 
and their landowner, their boss, hollered back at them, may the Lord be with you as well. Wouldn't that be a great workplace? Can you imagine going to work and the greeting in the morning is, may the Lord be with you and may the Lord bless you. And everyone responds in the office, may the Lord bless you too. That would be marvelous. If we could do that as Christian friends, may the Lord bless you. This landowner said to all of his workers, may the Lord bless you, and they responded in kind. As he looked over his fields, he noticed gleaning behind the harvesters was a beautiful middle-aged, not really middle-aged, she was a young middle-aged woman, but she was a widow. She really was destitute. She was a foreigner. She was in a strange land, a foreign land. And this landowner remembered the law of Moses from Deuteronomy 24. In fact, you know what he did? At lunch, he invited her to eat and gave her a bountiful lunch, good lunch, great sandwiches. I don't know what they ate. Probably a big thing of bread and some goat's milk. And then you know what? He whispered to the guys that were doing the harvesting. They said, listen, take some of those sheaves and dump them off the back of the wagon. You leave a lot of stuff for her. And then he also went to her and he said, I want you to stay. Every day I want you to come to my fields. And he told all of his workmen, he said, if anybody touches that woman, their head's going to roll. So here among these guys, it would be like construction workers. This beautiful woman would come every day, and she would have enough. She provided for herself, and she also provided for her widowed mother-in-law. The law of Moses sustained, this law that we're studying today, sustained a girl named Ruth, and her mother-in-law named Naomi. And the rest of the story is that Boaz fell in love with Ruth, and Ruth became King David, the line of the Messiah. Ruth was his great-grandmother. Is it important to obey the law of Moses? Was it important for a businessman to know Deuteronomy 24? Yes. Strangely enough, he almost did it just naturally, from the depths of his being. It's the way that he was. The law of Moses was so much a part of his life. Caring for people, caring for widows, caring for orphans, making sure that they were provided for was just part of his life. And the incredible redemptive plan of God, Jesus of Nazareth, was born from that line. What an incredible story. Who knows the story that the Lord wants to write in our life? Who knows the people that we might be able to touch this week when we live this kind of business ethic out in the marketplace? What I want every one of you to realize is what we do today as I teach you and as you begin to think about it, as you begin to pray about it, God only knows the the applications that you're going to have out in the marketplace. But I want you to know, I think what we do here Sunday morning is minuscule compared to what needs to happen out there. And it's the choices that you as business people make and as educators and as doctors and lawyers and truck drivers and, and people working as GM and all the different things that you do. It's all the things that you do and whether or not you apply this kind of godly ethic. That's what's going to make the difference. Generosity towards the need. I also want to say one other thing about this. The poor had to get off their cans in the morning and go to the field and harvest. Very important principle. You see, you take away a person's total sense of worth when you just give them everything. And this does relate. To show how things relate, husbands, one of the greatest ways you can make your wife happy is to get off your can and work hard. 
and earn a living. I'm not saying that your wife should never work, but you better work a lot harder. One of the most devastating things for Dave Lauer and I when we were at seminary, some of our friends, their wives worked and they did not. Their wives did everything. And their wife would come home after a busy day at the office and their husband would out there, be, would out there by the pool lounging with all the girls around him. Everyone else, it didn't work. And he'd be sitting there with his theology book propped up, you know, with oil all over him. That's not going to work, guys. Oh, I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for God's service. I'm going to be a missionary. Everyone's going to help me out. One of the things that's devastating God's support is some basic people that know the ethic of getting up in the morning and sweating in fields and working hard. They see God's people not getting up in the morning and not working hard and saying, oh, you owe me my living. No, you don't. In fact, I want to challenge you, don't you give your money to anyone in the so-called Lord's work unless you can verify what they're doing. It only makes sense. Unless you can know for sure that they're true to the Word of God, that they're diligently working to apply that, that they're getting the message out. It's very serious to have the responsibility given by God's people graciously to have to teach them the precious principles of the Word of God. There's several of you that are in, quote, quote, full-time Christian work. You be sure you're gleaning in the fields. And learn the basic self-disciplines of life. Because those that are dependent upon others need to be sure that they're gleaning in the fields. Ruth received the blessing of Boaz because of her hard work. And that's a good old American ethic, but it's a mosaic ethic. And I'm speaking to myself, renewing myself, and I pray that I'm renewing you. One last thing and we'll be done. What about kidnappers? Verse 7. If a man is caught kidnapping one of his brother's Israelites and treats him as a slave or sells him. Anybody know a story where that happened? Anybody remember a story where they kidnapped a brother Israelite, they treated him as a slave, and they sold him? Guess what Moses is thinking about? Genesis, the whole last part of it. Joseph being sold by his brothers. And it says what should happen to him. The kidnapper must die. You must purge the evil from among you. I want to ask you a question. As you have heard the story of Joseph, Remember, let me review it for you. Almost all of you have heard it, but I'll review it a little bit. Remember when Joseph became Pharaoh's viceroy, the prime minister of Egypt, and his brothers came down and he recognized them? How many of you back in Sunday school said, why didn't he just tell his brothers right away he was their brother and have a glorious family reunion? How many of you ever felt that way? Did anybody ever feel, remember Joseph grabs one of his brothers and accuses them of lying and throws him in jail? He keeps him in jail for a whole year, just about. How many of you think that was a good idea? How many of you have ever heard messages saying Joseph had a lot to work out? He was kind of a mean guy. He was a snotty-nosed, jealous little kid, and he was getting back at his brothers, and by the grace of God, the Lord softened his heart, and finally he got his heart right with God, and Joseph became the forgiving man he was supposed to be. How many of you have ever heard messages like that? That is not the story in Genesis. You say, why not? Do you know what happens to kidnappers? They are not good guys. They are not nice people. They will not be changed by giving them a little bit more money or giving them another chance. You know what kidnappers deserve? They deserve to die. You say, why is that? Just think of you were the person kidnapped. They take you away from your family, your friends, 
In the Old Testament, they took you away from the place where God revealed himself. They ruined a life. Joseph's brothers, from a human standpoint, ruined his life. It's an incredibly evil thing, and I want to just hit you in the face. Kidnapping. Someone that plans how to steal someone's life and then use it for extortion for money's purposes is not a nice guy or a nice girl. They are evil. And you know what the Old Testament law says? If someone does that, they should die. You know one of the greatest problems in the United States of America today, and it's true even among God's people, it doesn't really make any difference. Things will be okay. It's not okay. We live in a society right now because, because this philosophy is so permeated where people are very much afraid. Two of our teenagers had an accident, had an accident a week ago. One of the firemen in our church was the one that came. He was on the emergency crew that went and got these girls. That fireman came to the daddy of the girl, one of the girls that was hit, and said, what were your girls doing in that part of town? They were looking for something they needed for a, a church function that night. And the fireman said, don't let them go to that part of the town. And my, 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 the husband said, the father said, listen, it's broad daylight. It's the middle of the day. He says, don't. I know what the statistics are in that part of town. Have you ever stopped to think about the fear that y'all are living under? You know why? Because nobody's at fault. There's nothing wrong with kidnapping. There's nothing wrong with murder. There's nothing wrong with drive-by shootings. Because you end up in court, man, for shooting a policeman, the most you're going to get is nine years. And you'll be out. You know what's wrong in our society? When I stand on the edge of Niagara Falls, I want to jump. I've told you about that. I've got a great yearning. Whenever I'm high, not in an airplane because it's kind of closed in, but when I'm high and I'm outside, I want to jump. And when I stand on the edge of Niagara Falls and I see that water plunging over, tons and tons of water, I want to jump. You say, why don't you? Because I am scared to death. And I begin to think, if I just one little leap over this rail and I can feel my bones being crushed as I'm pounded by tons of water and I can feel my lungs popping as it just shoots me several hundred feet down into the depth of that river and it pounds me on those rocks and I feel my body being torn apart and I see my body limp and lifeless and every bit of life-giving air knocked out of me and I see Mary crying and I see the kids crying and I see all of you hopefully crying. <laughs> I'm very serious and I don't jump. You know what's wrong in our society? There's no Niagara Falls anymore. Let's pray together that we will recapture a wise sense of what is dangerous, of barriers that we should not cross over for fear of the consequences. In an age of moral relativism, God continues to maintain that whether you believe it or not, gravity operates in the physical realm, and kidnapping, murder, gang violence, immorality, lying, still make us fall in the moral realm. In a society with no restraints, God wants to tenderly place in your heart some restraints that will protect your life. In His Word, He carefully shows us what life is like and how we can skillfully sail through it. 
This is the richness of the Old Testament. It is packed full of practical wisdom. Thanks for the privilege of bringing this wisdom daily to you.